Howdy folks, welcome back to Lords of Order, a DC's Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. Uh, be aware that there are spoilers, particularly for this episode, as I am talking about issue 11 of the current volume of Dr. Fate, which came out earlier today as I record this. If you want to send feedback about this book or any of the books uh, that I have talked about or any books you think I should talk about or just anything having to do with Dr. Fate, a variety of ways that you can do that. The Gmail address, the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast. Email is accepted there, of course, being that it's Gmail. BigTimeNoise.com slash Dr. Fate is the website. Episodes are posted there. Comments are workable there as well. Now, Big Time Noise is part of the Comic Book Noise Network, which is part of the Deliberate Noise Network, which is daddied and granddaddied by Mr. Derek Coward. Just point of reference. Lords of Order has Google Plus and Facebook pages. Comments there, of course. Particularly Facebook. A lot of folks that uh, interact with me for the show tend to do it on Facebook, or do get quite a bit of traffic for Teal, T-E-A-L, Productions on Twitter. Twitter and Facebook, those are the two main ways that a lot of you guys that listen choose to interact. And that's cool, because I'm on Twitter pretty much all day, uh, pretty much all the time that I'm conscious. Uh, Facebook, I have notifications, so I can be on Facebook whenever I need to be. Now, this issue is the June 2015 issue. As I said, it came out earlier today. It's still warm. Smells of moist ink. It's so fresh. It would be classified in mint, near mint condition. It, uh, it, is, it is that new. Now, of course, 40 years from now, Dr. Fate 11 from this volume probably isn't going to demand much, even if it is in mint, new mint, because... These just don't have the classic feel to them that a lot of other stories do. But it's entertaining and enjoyable enough for now, and that's really all that matters. This has been brought to us by Mr. Paul Levitz and Sonny Liu, the storytellers, Lee Lofbridge on colors, and Seda Temofante on letters. Now we open this issue almost precisely where we left off last issue. Uh, Dr. Fate... uh, a.k.a. Khalid, has been captured by some uh, ghostly centurions, some phantasmic centurions, if you will. They're illustrated in kind of a greenish, yellowish, kind of off-color, almost an opaque, uh, very high uh, opacity. Is that the word? Opacity to them. Uh, Whereas Khalid is much more substantially colored, uh, darker the surroundings, uh, which uh, the surroundings kind of caught Khalid last issue by surprise. Also, he went through the floors of the Egyptian consulate uh, looking for people who had been arrested in a protest earlier in the day to free them because they were being held, probably. Although I'm kind of surprised that he would know this, probably illegally. And as he's going down through the floors, he hits a a section where he continues to go down, go down, go down, go down, and pops up in this room that very much looks like an Egyptian tomb, uh, like you would see set up in a big museum with pillars and etchings and writings on the pillars and the walls and and, uh, catafalques and and mummy tombs and and the whole nine yards. And that is when he was grabbed by these 
phantasmagoric centurions who indicate to him that they're going to take him before the Caesar. So he has been brought before the Caesar. We find out that this is not just a Caesar, but it is the Caesar, Julius. Or at least his phantasm, his ghost, uh, an apparition assuming the characters of. It's hard to say at this point. Nonetheless, Khalid is a bit taken aback. I mean, he and, and he has seen some weird stuff up to this point so far, right? The previous ten issues, he's seen talking cats. He has seen funky creatures. He has seen Anubis uh, in the form of a, a human with a jackal head, but also in the form of a talking dog. Uh, he, you know, he's seen some pretty weird stuff, but this this ghost centurion Caesar stuff is kind of close to overwhelming him. Plus, because of wherever he has been transported to, he is physically he is much younger than the Khalid who we have seen, who just graduated college, uh, excuse me, high school, and is attending medical school. You know, so that's what seventeen, eighteen, maybe nineteen, just depending. Um, this Khalid is appears in size um, eight, nine, ten, perhaps something like that. So something is going on to to transform him um, as well as transport him to wherever this is. Owning all the more to the fact that this is not a normal place that he has found himself in. Oh well, as normal a place as Doctor Fate would find. A place to be normal. <laughs> so Caesar's confronting him. Um, he's reaching to take the mask off to expose who is underneath. Because if you have a mask, obviously you're hiding something. And Caesar has the right, being that he's Caesar, to know what Khalid is hiding. So as he attempts to take the mask off, Khalid finally um, almost bears down and accesses his powers enough that he teleports himself. Well, he teleports himself down um, and turns up that it is uh, beneath wherever he's at, such that we see skeletons and, and other figures. We have a uh, a Green Lantern, a uh, Alan Scott Green Lantern here. We have a Flash skeleton because of the helmet with the wings on it. And in the midst of this... Uh, Khalid sees someone wearing a cape with a big fancy belt holding a scepter and refers to that person as a hadratak. Um, sorry to be disturbing your eternal rest, hadratak. Uh, hadratak apparently is an Egyptian Arabic or perhaps just Arabic word that is uh, synonymous with excellency, uh, among other things, in, in the English language. So he's he's being deferential to one of the skeletons that he runs across uh, what he assumes is beneath wherever he was. He he still doesn't doesn't really know. Well, this was not enough to get away from the Centurion guards. Uh, they were able to easily locate him, capture him again, and rise back up to whatever passes as the surface of where he's at to once again appear before Caesar. Now, uh, as he is confronted this time, Caesar is much less uh, congenial because this magician has already escaped once, has disrespected Caesar's wishes uh, in that he was going to unmask him, in that it is up to Caesar to determine what is to happen 
to this person, and this person had the audacity to try to escape, to leave before Caesar passed judgment. So Caesar is not happy, uh, tells him he's not happy, gives him the big Caesar thumbs down uh, in the arena, you know, not happy, orders his centurions to kill Khalid. We have a one-page um, interlude here where we see Aquila as she is trying to contact the other members of the group that participated in the recent protest in front of the UN against an Egyptian uh, ruler, an Egyptian general who is in power uh, over there in, in, in Egypt. He's, he was over here for a, a UN meeting. And she is finding that perhaps her cohorts are not as into this whole protesting thing as she is. Uh, we have uh, no can do, dad making me work off the bail money. Somebody tells her, well, the general flew back to Egypt, so what's the point of doing this at all? Among other excuses. We then, I'm, I'm really not sure why that was inserted in the story, to be perfectly honest with you, because it doesn't come up again in this book. I don't know why they threw it in there. We cut back. Now, a an Egyptian general is calling Caesar off from killing Khalid because the Egyptian general has his own designs for Khalid, having seen Khalid when he first intruded into this meeting area, this space. We haven't seen the general interact up until now since Khalid first entered the picture here. The general tells Caesar that it was he, the general, that summoned Caesar, and it is he, the general, that controls what Caesar does. So Caesar cannot do whatever he wants. Caesar has to do what the general wants to do. And right now, the general does not want Caesar to kill Khalid because he uh, he finds Khalid interesting uh, for a couple reasons that he goes into. In intimidating Caesar, we see that the general raises a presumably a short sword, perhaps a dagger. It's kind of hard to say. Looks like a short sword. Uh, one of the um, and the name just completely escapes me. One of the style of short swords that the centurions of Roman Roman times wore. Um, and he opens it a little bit in front of Caesar with his thumb. Uh, a lot of times, as you will see, uh, Japanese samurai and ninja do. They, they push up the sword just a little bit, exposing some of the metal. And you see that it's surrounded by blood there. So apparently this sword um, dagger was used in some way to kill Caesar. And it is what is giving the general uh, power to summon this uh, specter of Caesar. And thanks to the quick typey, typey Google skills of my wife, the sword is a gladius, for those of you that the word may not have occurred to yet. Um, that apparently is what the general has. So he goes up to Khalid, and he is particularly interested in the medallion that Khalid is wearing, that, uh, excuse me, Dr. Fate is wearing. I apologize. Um, when he has the helmet on and in this guise and everything, the character is actually Dr. Fate. So I, I don't know why I want to refer to him as Khalid, but... Uh, I, I guess because there's there's a part of me that is having some difficulties as a reader taking this young boy seriously as Dr. Fate. So it's just hard for me to call him Dr. Fate. But 
Um, the general is inspecting Dr. Fate's medallion that he wears. Uh, the helmet also intrigues him because it appears to be made of the same material, the general notices. Uh, and the general already has a fondness for ancient Egyptian artifacts as he motions across the room. And, and we see a small assortment over here to the side, almost like wherever they are is the general's lair. And Caesar and his centurions just happen to be there because it's where they have been summoned to, using perhaps this assortment of treasures, of trinkets, what have you, and as well as the gladius that the general has. So Khalid notices, you know, the, the antiquities over there, and as the general is confronting him about to yank the leather strap uh, breaking the medallion from uh, Dr. Fate's neck, the medallion uh, reaches out and does something to the general, uh, zaps him with magic. It looks maybe electrical, but maybe not. But it, it does something, causing him to yelp and drop the medallion. General draws a sword and just immediately fires at Khalid, the bullet, though, melts just uh, six, eight inches away from Khalid's head, which, first of all, was a pretty good shot uh, by the general. They're just on impulse, you know, just a reactionary shot. But also, apparently, Nabu is running some sort of interference, and it was Nabu using fate's energies that caused the bullet to melt before it reached Khalid. So he, he's kind of helping Khalid out. But we see that, that neither of them, neither Nabu or Dr. Fate, really seems to have the necessary power for Fate to uh, extricate himself from the situation. Now, a couple things happen for the rest of the book, uh, in, in the rest of the book, that, that kind of highlight that. One is that we cut back to Khalid's home, where Elizabeth is cleaning, and she uh, runs into Puck. Now, Puck is the uh, black cat that is Khalid's companion, um, but we, of course, know that the black cat is more than just a black cat. Is it, it is a, uh, a living personification, perhaps an avatar for Bastet. And Elizabeth talks to Puck, and Puck talks back. Puck says, uh, those who worship cats are wise, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, you see this dumbfounded look on her face, and she just lightly mumbles, wise. And Puck leaves, saying, that will do. And of course you can't see, but I'm sitting here nodding also, I, so I'm, I'm telling you guys all about this just with my body language. Um, so I think that is Elizabeth's... Uh, giving of some sort of power to Dr. Fate through Bestet, helping to power Dr. Fate via belief in the old ways, if you will. So at that moment, pretty much, wherever he is at now, there is an infusion of juice for Dr. Fate, which he uses to throw off the ghastly, ghostly guards now I sound like I'm in a Scooby-Doo episode, um, who are holding him. 
and surrounds himself with a cage that cannot be penetrated now by the ghosts or their weapons, or Caesar, for that matter. It, it appears to be enough to hold off Caesar. So that goes on for a little bit. Nobody's able to make any headway. Khalid doesn't seem to, Dr. Fate, excuse me, doesn't seem to be wanting to do anything either. You know, he's not trying to escape or uh, fry any of the ghosts or anything like that. He's just sitting in his cage, much much like a bird would appear to in a, in a cage. He's much like a bird in a cage. Uh, finally, the general uh, forces Caesar's hand by threatening him with the bloody gladius that he has, that is the, the Caesar's ghost totem, um, forcing Caesar because basically he's saying, you know, if you don't, I will dispatch you and send you to wherever you came from. And Caesar uh, attacks very, very hard, very aggressively, and manages to break through the cage that Dr. Fate has set up around himself, putting Fate back on his heels. Now we cut to Muhammad as he is driving uh, somewhere. Perhaps he's working, it looks like, in one panel here. It looks like he's in a cab that he's talking from. And we have some other some other words here that are dropped to us. Uh, the first is the Adan. Um, Muhammad says the Adan now. Uh, the Adan is the Islamic uh, uh, Muslim call to worship uh, that we have heard um, probably somewhere along the way. You have heard if you watch any kind of travel shows, it, it'll be a dude either standing on a, in a tall minaret or on a uh, on a microphone of some for, uh, form, if if they amplify it, you know, if they're in a big area, that starts calling people to gather to worship. Uh, I assume that it's kind of the equivalent of our church bells for Christian churches. That's that's what the bells are supposed to mean to gather services about to start. Um, the adan is the person who vocally notifies that worship is uh, about to start, and then. We see another reference by Muhammad that he doesn't understand this call to worship because he doesn't see the Mujin, uh, who, which is the uh, the name of the person appointed to make that call out to worship. Uh, it says he doesn't see a mosque, so he, he sees nothing that indicates that he is being called to worship, but he heard some sort of call to worship. Okay, so he's... Confused, pulls his cat over, and his cab, not his cat. Did I say cat? Cat, Bastet. Yes, that's okay. Pulls his cab over and starts to pray. Once again, I believe this is an infusion of power, uh, this time not through Bastet, but through the uh, Lords of Order and Chaos Ether, that supercharges fate once more and allows him to parry the attacks from Caesar. In the midst of this, he remembers back to learning about Caesar, learning about what happened to him during the uh, Ides of March, I think is when it was supposed to have occurred, realizing that the general is holding this gladius and he has uh, shown it to Caesar several times, so something obviously is going on with it. Well, fate reaches out and melts this gladius, this totem. 
Caesar immediately realizes, and he and his centurion guards start to fade off in that billowy, vaporous kind of way that ghostly apparitions are wont to do once they're dispatched. Fate turns his attention on the general, uh, grabs him up in a cage, grabs up all the antiquities, the trinkets that the general has gathered, pulls both of them together, and flies up out of what turns out to be some sort of tombs in Egypt somewhere. Some ancient, uh, newly excavated tombs. So the, the transporting was from the Egyptian consulate in New York to someplace in Egypt when fate uh, went down through that, that one level. Fate collapses the tombs, the catacombs, leaves the general there to do whatever the general wants to do in Egypt, takes all the antiquities with him, and starts flying off. And just as he's leaving, he gets a message, turns out to be an email, and the college has called him uh, to account for excessive absence, saying that failure to adequately explain and document the situation was, will result in your immediate expulsion from the program. So this is something that we've seen coming to a head, uh, particularly in recent issues, as his girlfriend Shea has been trying to warn him You know that he's been missing too much. Professors, through her, have warned him that he's missing too much. And so now school has finally had enough. And the school is saying, yes, you got it. You're missing too much. And so now he's going to have to account for it. That's where it ends. Uh, I suspect that he will get kicked out of the medical school. Um, I, you know, In a way, I hope so, because it will lessen the detractors of his attention. Um, and that's what he needs. Because as far as learning to be a lord of order, uh, Khalid is not doing very well, I don't think. Now, that's my personal opinion, based on, mm, let's say, Kent Nelson, who is my personal favorite fate. But uh, So he's, he's, he's not impressing me with his uh, handling of his powers up to this point. All right, the next issue will be More Fun Comics issue 80. Jumping back to some golden age Dr. Fate goodness. Do have a little bit of feedback. Uh, I was messaged, or the Lords of Order page on Facebook, rather, was messaged. Um, I don't want to give their name out because they they might not be comfortable with their name getting thrown about because it was a message that conceivably only I would see. But uh, he, it was a he, he says, Hello, Ed. I just wanted to give you a heads up that I recently found your show and have been enjoying the heck out of it. I run my own podcast take note, folks, called The Parliament of Rooks, and it's focused on magic in the DCU. I recently did a two-part spotlight on Dr. Fate in episodes 6 and 7. Check it out, if you like, at tporpodcast.com. Thanks, and keep up the great work on your show. Uh, I've listened to the first four episodes. Um, Cool show. I like the format between he and his daughter. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, I think they're up to 15 or 16. And as he said, 6 and 7, they talked about Dr. Fate, so I'm I'm almost there. I'll probably uh, consume those here sometime this week while I'm at work. So thanks a lot for that. Um, um, 
I'll go ahead and, and call you Thomas. Uh, that's his first name. That's uh, that's pretty nondescript, I, I hope. Uh, Thomas, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the feedback. I certainly appreciate you listening to the show. And uh, as I said, uh, I'll say it now more directly. I've listened to several episodes of your show, and I enjoy it immensely. I think uh, magic in the DCU uh, is potentially a, a very long-lived, fascinating topic, and I, I certainly think that you're doing doing it justice as far as presenting it in an entertaining way for us to listen to. Um, some of the situations and things I'm not familiar with, you seem to have a an, an excellent grasp of uh, golden and silver age DCU magic, which is, except for Dr. Fate, uh, a place where I am sorely lacking, except for intersections of Dr. Fate. Now, in the Bronze Age forward, I'm much more versed in DCU magic, so those golden and silver age uh, times of education, we'll call it, I am particularly fascinated with because I do not have that. So those I I definitely am enjoying. Alrighty, guys, that's all for this episode. We will see you next time when 69, um, episode number 69, Clean Up Your Mind, debuts as I talk about more fun comics, issue 80. Catch you guys then. production and as such is licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial non-derivative 3.0 unported license 